Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Get a free 30-day free trial at www.gofreshbooks.com slash holybackward. Let's go! Come on, everybody, let's get to pumping, cause it's All right, everybody, welcome to the 67th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling here in Southern Oregon. We're recording on Valentine's Day. I did not do anything romantic, just played video games, and now I'm potting with you. So I, I guess I have some human contact today, but it it, it was not a uh, classic Valentine's Day for me. I was just chilling by myself. Sounds like an amazing day. Yeah, we didn't really do anything for Valentine's Day. Olga's not big on Valentine's. I'm not either. Like, we had a nice weekend, went to the coast, uh, went to the night market in Portland on Saturday. So we had, you know, our excursions on the weekend. It's so hard to do stuff on a Tuesday, too. It's just like, Tuesday is the most Tuesday of work days. Like, it's not that, you know, okay, Monday, we're getting back into the groove. It's not, oh, you know, Thursday, Fridays, you know, tomorrow. It's not Friday. It's fucking tuesday like the reality of the work week sits sets in that shit we got four more days of this before we get you know our freedom to light at the end of the tunnel so it's it's definitely tough the way it landed so either way uh i spent my tuesday had a meeting up in seattle came home took a little took a little bit of a nap watched um some Champion League soccer, and then I rewatched uh, the Blazer game uh, against the Atlanta Hawks. I actually had a doubleheader uh, City League game. We did sweep both games, so uh, have to shout out the Skyhookers. But is that your name? Yeah, we're the Skyhookers. Man, back when I used to do the radio thing, we were the Radio Shack team, but Shack spelled S H A Q. I mean, yo, I mean, congrats on the uh, on the the two wins. Did you? Do your Danny Green thing. Oh, yes. 25 points the first game because the team played zone and I am the zone buster. However, the next team tried to go man, which was fine. I'm just out there spreading the floor. So I only got a couple of looks, had three points. But most importantly, we won. It was like the first time we've ever swept a doubleheader in like the three or four seasons that uh, we played together. So that was nice to do. And just so, so damn tired afterwards. Uh, once you hit a certain age, it's it's tough running up and down that floor. But it's so much fun to do it. And the beautiful thing is I was able to listen to the game going into uh, our first game. So I listened to the entire first quarter. And as soon as we got done with our second game, I looked at the box score and saw, oh, Paul Millsap tied it up. So we're going into overtime, you know, rushed to get to my car. And I I was able to listen to, you know, the final bits and pieces of of OT. So it was interesting watching what I heard. Uh, and knowing what was coming in that first quarter and in overtime. But for, for, for the Trailblazers, it was just another loss in a difficult season. They continue to find ways to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. I don't know how they lost that game. Frankly, the fact that they were in it at all is kind of a minor miracle, considering they were without Mason Plumley, Festus Azili's hurt, Evan Turner's hurt, they don't have Nurkic, and you're going up against one of the bigger and better front lines in basketball, and Dwight Howard and Paul Millsap, 
and yet they, they should have won the game. They ended, I believe, the first quarter on a 10-0 run. They pushed the lead up to 13 in the second quarter. Um, but Atlanta always had an answer. In the second quarter, it was it was Schroeder who really played with a ton of energy and brought them back. He got to the cup. His mid-range was, was off the charts. And then you in the second half, um, you had Tim Hardaway Jr., who has really came out of his shell since being dealt from the Knicks last season. I mean, once you hot. leave that dumpster fire, I mean, good things will happen. I mean, he looks like a big-time player for them. Uh, he had 25, 4 of 9 from downtown. And what really stood out was Portland was up four, 5. And we foul going through a screen on a three-point shooter. The three goes in. They didn't make the free throw, but still, it's like, these are they're, they're, the Blazers are coming up with new ways to lose games. And when you give a team like Atlanta, who is fighting for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference, they are you know two years removed from winning 60 games and they have a bona fide all star and Paul Millsap. They're going to they're going to make you pay. And Millsap did that with that buzzer beater. Um, he was just that solid force for them all game. Uh, two things that really, you know, I would say signify Paul Millsap. He was 12 of 12 at the free throw line, just very rock solid in his defense. He always came up with those those little plays, the poke aways or you know the rebounds tipped to his teammate or he would cut somebody off driving so they would have to dish. Uh, just a very solid fundamental player who you know in re- in reality Portland would be so amazing. It would be so amazing if Portland could have had him to start the season, a player of his caliber, you know, a veteran who just does these little things. Um, and I think that's the difference between the Blazers and the Hawks. I, I think overall talent, Portland's probably more talented, but um, Atlanta's a little bit more committed to the defensive end, and they've got players who have who have been there and, and really done that. Um, they have the, vets. The, they have those, those. They have the vets. Portland is still an extremely young team. I think people um, kind of forget about that, but no one's put and put at the time in their craft like Paul Millsap has. And I mean, Dwight Howard's played for some like twelve years. They have vets that will take them and make that clutch stop, and they have a strategy on defense where it makes it life difficult for the opposing offense. While I was watching, I was like, Paul Millsap is one of the most skilled basketball players. He does all the little things, but there were plays where he would make passes no one was expecting to perfectly to cutters. He's just a superiorly skilled basketball player. He's a Swiss Army knife, dude. 21 points, 9 boards, 5 assists, 4 blocks, 2 steals, just 1 turnover in 41 minutes. And he did all of that on just 12 attempts from the floor. So he's not really – he's not a high usage rate player. He's very efficient. And Atlanta's heavy hitters came to play. Portland's unfortunately did not. Damon CJ did combine for 47, but when you factor in, they shot – 15 of 45 from the field. Um, again, how was Portland even in this game? Usually when our backcourt shoots so inefficient like that, it's lights out regardless of the opponent. Um, you can just, you know, sign, seal, deliver this one as a loss um, in the column. But Damon CJ's bad shooting night aside, there are some bright spots here for the Trailblazers to oh, take absolutely. away. And I think first and foremost, you have to look at a guy like Mo Harkless. He is a player who I think it is pretty set in stone, needs to start if you're going to want to get this production out of him. He plays just with more of a passion. He's a guy 
who just wants to start. And, you know, we've seen that some guys perform better off the bench. Some guys need to start. Um, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Sharif Abdurrahim was a, a perfect example of that in his short tenure with the Blazers. But Mo puts up 17 points, uh, nine boards, uh, six of those on the offensive end. And he added in a steal and two blocks in 32 minutes, shot about 50% from the field. And I went to basketball reference to look at his splits when he's a starter versus when he's um, coming off the bench. And it really um, justified, you know, our thoughts that he is much better um, in the starting five because he's putting up this year almost 12 points, five boards, um, shooting 36% from three and about 49% from the field. And when he comes off the bench, so he's getting 30 minutes. So he's doing a lot with his time. When he comes off the bench, he's getting nine minutes less per game, 21 minutes. The points drop down to about five and a half. The rebounds, three. Um, but what really drops off is his field goal percentage. You're looking at 49% from a starter to 37 as a reserve. Get this. He shoots 36% from three as a starter. How, what do you think he shoots from three as, as, a, coming out, as a reserve, Sage? I'm going 18%. Cut that in half. Nine percent. Um so this is a guy who really needs to to start. I know Portland saw a little success with Evan Turner um starting, but Turner seems like he was finding his groove off of the bench as well. Uh Portland actually made a really good signing, I think, getting Mo Harkless for that four year Oh, that's like the the one contract that he's gonna get that in the open market. He was gonna get eight million. So you can't you can be mad at uh, Neil O'Shea for almost everything, but that contract is a value contract. He was going to get that on the open market. Analytics aside, you could just look at his body language starting compared to when he's off the bench. Starting, he's hungry. His motor's running. When I feel like he has something to prove when he starts. Like yeah. I didn't get my chance in Orlando. I'm a starter like that means something to him. And that's that's what he uses as motivation. Like different players find different things to get them going. I think being a starter is Mo's motivation. But like when you watch him off the bench, he looks bummed out. His shoulders are slumped. He has a sad fit. He's has he's sad Mo. Motivated Mo Harkless can do nothing wrong in my eyes because all he does is play good basketball. But when you put him on the bench, I saw a completely different player. He was just, he wasn't into it. He needs to be engaged, and apparently being engaged is being the guy that's starting. Getting Mark Mason to say your name, you know, you get the crowd fired up. Um, one player who, it's, it hasn't mother, or excuse me, it's been almost the opposite effect. As soon as Portland started bringing Alfred Camino off of the bench, his production has skyrocketed, Sage. Uh, he was another reason why Portland. Some shots that I was flabbergasted at. He, I mean, he was a reason why Portland could have went three and zero this week. He played fantastic against Boston, and he did. Uh, he had a solid double double against the Hawks: twelve points, eleven boards, forty um, percent shooting, forty percent from three. And he's another player who I feel like has really upped his production um, lately. And I went and looked again at Basketball Reference at the splits, and in February he is shooting lights out. Overall, his points are, he's nearly getting 15 and 9 off of the bench. His three point percentage is up to 47%. His field goal percentage is 43%. Um, uh, granted, it's a five game sample, but it's happened. 
I mean, but Aminu has done this. Well. Like, he flipped the switch last year as well. Like, at the beginning of the season, I would tell Olga, like, it's the Alfaruk Aminu experience. Whatever he does, you never know. Uh, he was missing threes by feet, not inches by feet. Like, they weren't even close. Now when he shoots, you're expecting it to go in most of the time. Like, his stroke looks really smooth right now. First of all, I want to address the coming off the bench thing. I don't know what he did in the Clippers. I didn't care that he sucked. But in New Orleans, he came off the bench plenty. Trevor Ariza was ahead of him. There's no way you could convince anyone that Alfred Aminu, when he was 23, was better than a established Trevor Ariza coming off the bench, especially when Monty Williams was still in his head trying to win games. And then in Dallas, he had vets around him that supported him. I think he's a player that could come off the bench really well. I mean, th- this streak right now is awesome. But you've, I've seen it plenty of times in my time of watching Alfred Aminu. He'll have five games where he looks like, let's give this dude $20 million and have him be the small forward of the future. But then he'll regress to the mean where he's at. I mean, I, I am enjoying him playing really well, but I'm still expecting him to regress a little bit. Because that, that shooting is, I mean... That shooting, 44% for the field, that's not Alfred Camino. I like the confidence he's playing with, but that, that shooting, is not, the percentage is not Alfred. But to play devil's advocate, it happened last year as well, the same around the same time. like he, start, he struggled a bit, but then he found his groove. And I think it happened in Dallas, too, because that playoff series against yeah, the Houston playoff is, when, is when he really took, turned it up a notch. He started off slow last year in Portland. He got actually inserted into the starting lineup, and that was what really you know kick-started our, our push to the fifth seed last year. So it seems like whatever it is, whenever the all-star break nears chief takes his game to the next level, because even if you compare it to January, which was his second best month, he's still getting six more points and he's still shooting uh 3% better from the field and 20% better from three. Well, uh, I mean, I think that it has to be a correlation between he's getting more opportunities, so he's hitting them, but I mean, I think he was getting the same opportunities, though, early in the heat always gets wide open threes. like he's a player that teams are going to force them to beat. Yeah. And for these five games, he's been killing it. But I've been I've been burnt by Alfarouk Hope. I know what he is. He's a good defender and an inconsistent shooter. I mean, he's not going to shoot 47 percent from three. I think we can all agree on that. But I also don't think he's a 27% three-point shooter. I think he could settle in comfortably around 35 36%, and we would take that and run with it every day of the week. Absolutely, but that, that I mean, his hot shooting is sugar on top of the, the cake. It's not the cake itself. The defense is the cake. And rebounding. Exactly. One other bright spot before we move on from this game. I thought it was at Davis. I know he, he struggled a bit from the free throw line, especially down the stretch, but... He had 11 points, 13 boards. He was fighting with Dwight and, and Paul Millsap all night long. That's a lofty. Uh, that that's props to him. That's not an easy front line to battle with. Just felt like it was vintage Ed, like five of eight, like where five of eight shooting. We saw those numbers on a consistent basis last year, and we thought maybe you know is he hurt? Is his ankle messed up? But he's just whatever reason he's not playing. Um. I don't know if they're trying to showcase other players or if they're trying to figure out what's what's wrong. But Ed Davis was one of you, you can probably point to three or four X factors last year as to why the team gelled so quickly and really 
exceeded their expectations. Ed Davis has got to be on the top of that list because he was doing those similar things um, as he was Monday night against the Hawks. Portland lacks a true low post scorer. And outside of Damon CJ, nobody else can dribble into the paint and get buckets. So when Ed Davis was able to catch and kind of turn and really gather himself, he was super efficient down low and giving us those high percentage looks. Or rebounding uh, the misses. That is something that we just needed. Like, And it hasn't been there this year. I don't think you can entirely blame Ed because his, his minutes have been so sporadic. Um it's just another long line in kind of what the fuck is going on behind the scenes, because I think there has to be something because so many things have have happened that there's just been really no explanation for. But if Portland is going to, you know, utilize Ed more, I think it's only for the benefit of, of the future because he's still a young guy. He's still on a very team friendly contract. And frankly, you need hardworking guys in your locking locker room, whether you're trying to win to make the playoffs or whether you're trying to get a better draft pick. Regardless of, of the, the win-loss, you need to instill a culture of always playing your ass off. Like, that always, that has to be number one. Like Yeah, he, he's always is going to put his hard hat on. And, I mean, he, he hasn't been successful enough to be, like, a vet to teach, like, Nurkic how to be ready all the time. But he's definitely one of those players you need in the locker room. And, I mean, Damian Lillard fucking loves him, which is always a good thing. But yeah, I, I I just see him crashing the boards a whole lot less. I mean, last year those Kobe assists were gold. There were times where he got double doubles just because he was hustling. Now I, I don't see it. I I just don't see the the crashing of the boards. I mean, I want us. I don't think we have any f- players besides Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum that can get to the free throw line. So. If those are the only two options to get easy points, shouldn't we be crashing the board like crazy to get other easy points? I get if we're a playoff team settling in our defense, but there's no way we're getting free throws if it's not Dame or CJ. So let's get some easy points crashing the board and being hyper-aggressive. Case in point, Mo Harkless at the end of regulation. That wasn't going to happen if he was going to run back on defense. I mean, that, was sheer, that was sheer will. Absolutely. And I love the fact that even though they lost, like, Ed was struggling at the, struggling at the line, but the camera point uh, panned to Mo, and he was like, you know, I got you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at least... Championship teams do this, where they let they let the... They don't have uh, offensive rebounds. The Spurs do it. The Warriors have done it. I'm sure the Cavs... No, I don't think the Cavs do because of Tristan. But, like, championship and good teams do this. And I get that. You want to establish defense, make it hard for the other team to score. But we're te- we're bad. We're not a good team. Let's no, put all our can, effort to getting those rebounds. We continue again to find ways to lose games we shouldn't. I predicted we would beat the Celtics and the Hawks, and I still feel good about those predictions, even though they went the opposite way. Portland should have they, won they both of those well. games. They played They were up well. 18 points against the Celtics. And Isaiah was quiet. Al Horford wasn't doing a damn thing. Um, And then it just starts to unravel. And I don't. It's hard to pinpoint like a specific play when it happens. But I think Portland not having a, a low post option. Is really starting to wear on them. I know they got away with it a little bit last year because we mentioned Ed Davis giving us those, those Kobe assists, those points in the paint. You can um, count on like six points in the paint from that. 
but you take those away and now all of a sudden you're trying to run a perimeter based offense when only Damon CJ have consistently shown up this year from the perimeter chiefs now getting hot crab has been warmer of late, um, but it took him a while to go. But you're looking at a guy like Myers, who's not shooting as well as, as he did last year. He picked up uh, fouls at a very frightening rate last night. Or last night, yeah. Whenever we played the Hawks. And so when you go away from at least having one low post score, one low post option, and you're playing entirely past the foul line extended, if you're not hitting your jump shots or if teams are really um, packing the perimeter, not packing the paint, they're packing the perimeter and they're forcing you to beat you off the dribble, um, it's going to be tough sledding. And even though Portland was able to put up 111, uh, their defense really got the better, got the best of them. Uh, they weren't able to stop Isaiah in the paint in the fourth quarter. Uh, he finished with uh, 34 points, just incredible. I know he was 11 of 26, and that's probably the best you can do against Isaiah Thomas. But whenever he needed a bucket, he got it. And then for whatever reason, Brad Stevens did not go to Al Horford until that third quarter, until they started making that run. Uh, he only ended up with 12 points, but once they started pounding at him inside, I felt like it opened up the entire perimeter for the Celtics. And then you've got like Jalen Brown, surprisingly, went two of three from downtown. Uh, Olenek and Rogier, two of four from downtown. And then Gerald Green felt like he always had those momentum. That vintage, it's- that dunk, man. I mean, you got to box out. I mean, that that's, that's basic basketball. I'm sure... You're, 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 uh, whatever the team you are on that you, you bopped out. I, I mean, that, that's just part of basketball. Make it difficult. I mean, that was a highlight dunk. It shouldn't have happened on any, like, good team. That shit wouldn't have happened, but Blazers don't fuck with that shit right now. I mean, you, you, you've called from the mountaintops or from the skyline. We need a low post score. I think Nurkic is a good, he's not, he, he won't be like a, uh, supremely good score but he he's got some moves i think i'm very interested to see how nurkic on both sides of the floor uh plays for us i mean he's playing help defend the paint can like you said can he enhance points in the paint because whenever we lose games it seems like points in the paint we just get murdered you know boston put up 56 they had a plus 16 advantage can nurkic help defend the paint a little bit like we're not asking him to come in and be prime Tyson Chandler we're not asking him to be boogie cousins in the post but can we dump it into you and more times than not can you put up a decent offensive maneuver down low can you get off a decent shot I think that's what we should look for um out of Nurkic over these last what 20 some odd games in the season I think I mean I've been looking at deep at his like statistics his stats the thing that frightens me the most is he has an extremely high turnover percentage while passing it out of the post. And I just think in his rookie year, there was no Nikolai Jokic. He was able to pass it from the post at a high clip. I think what he's doing now is he was bummed out that Jokic was there and tried to do passes that only two or three centers can potentially do. And they threw it into windows that were way too tight. And that's why he has like a incredibly bad turnover rate. So I think once he's in Portland, that 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 feeling of I need to compete with this all world center will be gone and I think he'll be able to beast. I I totally expect him to against the Jazz go absolutely either he's going ape shit or he's not gonna do anything this first game. I could see 
them just playing their scheme or Dame and CJ just forcing it and Nurkic shining. Yeah, I mean, I expect them to be uh, a learning curve. He's definitely going to have some jitters. One, playing with new team. Two, finally getting some minutes. Um, and I know it's a small sample size, but the start, he came out like gangbusters. Oh, he was in shape. He looked like a rejuvenated player. But, I mean, if you were the coach of the Nuggets, who would you start and give major minutes to? Oh, that's not a question. I'm just saying for Portland, if you're looking at a guy who... You, everyone, there was no way he was 280 in the beginning of the season. He looked way too lean. And everyone mentions, you know, oh, we lost, you know, Mason and his, his ability to pass the ball, and he's putting up career numbers. You know, his career numbers like 11 and 8, 53 percent from the field. So Nurkic's numbers in a down year, where he's not really getting hardly any playing time, he's still getting like eight and six, um, similar field goal percentage. So. I don't think Portland's going to see a significant drop off on the offensive end. And once we get him going, it could really take us to a different dimension. How Plumley gave us the passing from the top of the key from the center position. Nurkic could be more of that traditional bully down low, getting us points in the paint, rebounding the ball. Because like I said, in January, he just, he was getting about 30 minutes a night. He put up 16 and 12 um, on 50% shooting. So he was really doing his thing two blocks a night. Um, the thing with him is motivation and he's a young player. He was all rookie. I think first team in 2015. Um, he's still a pup. Um, I believe he's like 21 or 22 yeah, years like, old. Yeah, like I'm significantly older than him. And like you said, it, it's things like you get him in the weight room, you follow the example set by Damon CJ. And if you get this dude, if you can chisel his body the way you want, I think there is a lot of potential here. And I'm honestly, I'm really surprised Denver just gave up on him like this. Well, he was a sunk cost, man. He, there was no way he was getting better on that team. No way. I completely agree, but it's still surprising that they dealt him in division. Usually teams don't. Yeah, do I, that. I thought he was going to be out east, but I'm very happy he's in Portland. Because you know, every time he sees Denver, and we play them four oh, times bro, a year, it's going to be savagery. How? Much he bullies Jokic. I could just see him going for like he'll pull a twenty twenty man. He I know I like when I watch him. He looks he tried so hard to just be Nikolai. There was no way he was going to do that. He's going ape shit every time he plays Denver. I mean, you want yeah, he has the ability to put up big numbers. I mean, he did uh, thirteen and eight uh, against Toronto back on Halloween. I think that was one of their first nights. Twenty three and nine. Um, against your Pelicans again in October and, you know, 16 and 11 against the Jazz, against Rudy Gobert and the Jazz um, back in November. So he has the ability to score against big bodies. I mean, he was going up against Ashik. You're looking at um, Toronto with, with Valanciunas and then with Utah and Gobert. So he is a guy that we can now match up against these big centers and we don't always have to rely on, oh, this could be a Myers game because he's pretty good against bodying, you know, Gasol and Cousins. Now we have our own big body. Uh, so I really like the deal. I'm, I'm, this gives me a lot of uh, more excitement when watching the games because there's something else to dissect and really look forward to. Um, as I mentioned, wins and losses aren't really important to me right now. And you have a love for dipping it, passing it into the post, letting the big man work. I think, I think he might be one of your fan favorites pretty quickly. I love it when teams go down low, but again, you don't just everyone stand around. I love seeing movement off the ball. I love seeing it when you get a couple buckets down low and you force the defense to double, you get open shooters. 
I grew up on fucking dumping it into Hakeem Olajuwon and watching like four role players. He he won a championship in 94 with a bunch of role players. And uh, granted, Nurkic is not Hakeem. There is no Hakeem in this current NBA. But just because there isn't doesn't mean that style of play needs to completely go away. Um, when everybody in college football was going to the spread, what, what's been winning? It's, it's, it was Alabama, just, you know, traditional running the football, playing defense. Defense, we always know, is never going to go out of style. And I think offensively, the game is so diverse and it's so developed with everyone's skill set that you can win playing different styles. There's this. You don't have to go small now. Like you don't have to go big. You can go in the multiple ways. I just think Nurkic gives Portland that other um, dimension they haven't had since probably Lopez. So you you mentioned Lopez. How do you think they are going to play defense with Nurkic? I think they will do something very similar to what they did with Rolo. It makes it sense works. to me. It worked. Yeah. It worked really well. I think Portland's key will then be getting a defender who can do what LaMarcus did at the four. And I know Vonley's not there yet, but he still shows so much talent on the defensive end. You can question his offense all you want. I think he does hesitate still too much on offense, or he then rushes. He needs to find that groove on offense. But defensively, it feels like things come a little bit more natural to him. And he definitely has that energy. He has the motor. He has the the natural attributes you're looking for with the wingspan, the quickness, the, the, the ability to block shots, grab rebounds. He's super productive when he's on the floor on the defensive end. He's so just he reacting can, to what happens. It's not like, I have to think, okay, this is I'm supposed to do a back, uh, I'm supposed to set a screen so Crab can do a, a baseline cut. No, the defense is all natural. I have to play deep i have to react to what they're doing it's not uh, like it's easier and once there's that once there's like a scheme and people that talk on defense it's it, it's gonna be easier for them so i really like the potential of like a nurkic fondly i want to see them get as much time as possible absolutely the rest of the season Again, if it, if if you tell me you play Vonley and Nurkic together, what, 25 minutes a night, but you're going to miss the playoffs. If you cut their minutes down to 15, you make the playoffs. You play them 25 minutes. I uh, a, An 8-1 against the Warriors, cannot say this enough, hard pass. Um, let's see what we can got, what we have so we can move on to the future and really learn from this season, not compound it, I think, and make it... Um, and it's 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 kind of shitty to say that the playoffs would make the season worse than than it and, was. And it would though. It absolutely would. You get the worst pick, so we're coming into this team a bad team, and we get the worst resource available. So like number wise, we have the least amount of chance of getting a a usable player in the future. I mean, here's what it what we're gonna have to do to build the team. No free agents coming here. That's any good. We can get it, Evan Turner. We can probably get it. Solomon Hill if we want him, or, or something of that caliber. There's no B's or A's coming here in free agency. So drafting is very important. It's vital for this team's future, at least until the CBA is gone. So get used to looking at college basketball and seeing which players you think are going to hit. I mean, it is what it is. And you mentioned the draft, and I think that's so key because – a lot of people say, you know, oh, we're not going to get somebody to help us for another three years. To me, that's fine. Damon, CJ, they're not going anywhere. Um, they're locked up for five years, right? You have to wait out the Warriors right now. And I, that's really shitty to think about. But that's kind of where you have to you have to think long term. 
And I still go back to that 2013 season. We lost 13 straight games. It put us in the 10th position. Teams foolishly passed on CJ McCollum. And now he is a cornerstone of this franchise. And he is starting to take bigger strides than I think a lot of people would have envisioned when we drafted him, including that game winner he hit in Dallas. But it wasn't just that game winner. He had three or four straight possessions where he was going back and forth against the entire Dallas offense. You know, Dallas was getting buckets from, I think, Seth Curry and Dirk and um, and then all of their crew. But it, it was CJ and, and that floater, the, the step backs, the mid-range game, we're really seeing him flourish. And so I always point to that as a reason for the draft matters. Neil Wolshe is excellent at drafting players. And... You know, CJ had a fantastic night against the Mavs. Portland pulled out a 114-113 victory in Dallas. It's kind of odd. The teams have played four times each year and no home team has came away victorious. But, you know, that's a night where the Blazer backcourt carried us. Dame and CJ combined for uh, 61 points on 25 of of 43 shooting. You'll take that every single game. But it's just another realization for blazer fans that if damon cj both don't put up above average nights combined the team likely is not going to win a game mm-hmm. i mean we don't even have to look at the blazers to see that tanking works i mean the best team in the league they tanked i think it was for Harrison barnes and draymond green like they they had a protection on their pick those top seven they lost plenty of games and formed a championship roster with Harrison Barnes. I mean, we made fun of him for a long time, but he definitely helped that team. I mean, there, there's benefits of doing this. This basically the one way we get a good player. Did you watch the the CJ game live? Yeah. What were your thoughts like watch because i had to watch it on replay i was out at at a team team event um from work so i did know that we won but i had to go back and watch the game um on my dvr i was impressed at his confidence like those were not easy buckets he was making and i also thought it was really cool that you know dame didn't throw a fit he's like no this is my dude um he had it going let's give him the ball and it's similar to what we saw last year against philadelphia at home when CJ had it rolling, he had that big and one to put the Sixers away. Um, he did that against Washington as well. He had the game winner there as well. I think even though maybe a loss helps you lottery-wise, having CJ hit game winners helps long-term just as much. Because then once we're in a position to win games that really matter, he can go back he to those had, experiences. Yeah, he, has, he has those memories of, okay. He's got I that muscle that. memory of, oh, I've been here. I've done that. It's no big deal. And after he hit the shot, he's just like, yeah, I got this. I think CJ has been the best player on our team for a little while now. I mean, easily the most consistent. Dame's, had, Dame's struggled in Dallas. He struggled in Atlanta. Um, CJ's been Dame didn't dude. struggle in Dallas. Oh, he didn't? No, he was twelve of twenty-two for twenty-nine points. All right, there was a there was two games recently where he struggled. I know it was Atlanta. I think I don't know. I don't remember. I think it was the first Dallas game. Yeah, yes, because we played him twice in a week. Mm-hmm. So I was right. <laughs> he struggled versus Dallas, just the wrong game. But I think CJ has been our most consistent guy, and I think this is a huge growth for him to know that hey, I can take over games and I can win win game for us with these shots. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, great players, sometimes some of them with humongous talent, 
they shy away from taking those big shots. Trust me, I've seen I've seen one almost every game struggle in the fourth quarter. So it, it happens. Are you so, talking about your boo? Yeah. <laughs> he kind of struggles in fourth quarters. So, I mean, to have CJ have that growth where he will hit these shots, it's beautiful. And unfortunately, you know, the Blazers have, have been struggling this year. Their their record has dipped. Uh, they're now nine games under 500. they They're currently sitting at 23 and 32, uh, just five and five in their last 10. The Kings have actually won four straight and have passed them in the West. Uh, they are two losses um, behind the Denver Nuggets, who looked absolutely fantastic um, in, their, in their demantling of the Golden State Warriors, hitting, I think, a tied NBA record for 16 threes. In the first half, um, that's a big win if you're Denver. You're looking at bringing in a guy like Plumlee. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they work the Plumlee, Fareed, Jokic dynamic because all did, those guys. But did you really see who, who was? Did you see who was healthy for that Denver team? It was Jokic. It was Herman Gomez. Wilson Chandler was out. Gallo was out. Emmanuel Mudiay was out. I think Gary Harris might have been. Hurt. No, he played. No, Gary Harris played. Yeah, but, but there, there was uh, Herd- a lot. Yeah, Hernan Gomez had a huge night. Whew. Those Herman Gomez brothers are talented. Dallas, Denver's actually low-key good at drafting. Guess who the GM is? Guess who they drafted? Former Del Demp's uh, right-hand man, Denver's GM. Really shitty. But yeah, they, they, they draft so well, especially the European players. They took Nurkic, and I think he's going to revitalize his career in Portland. Uh, and they got a dude on their team that played for Florida State last year. Malik Beasley. He reminds me of a Wes Matthews type of guy. They are yeah. one hell of a good, good team at drafting. Denver definitely has some pieces, but it's going to be interesting how how they, they maneuver have to get a star. season. They have to get a star that complements Jokic. Because I think they're in a similar position as Portland was last year. Um, where they're overachieving a bit, you probably don't want to make the playoffs sub 500, which they might. And they, like I said, they've got shooting guards for days. They've got vets who probably want to get moved or could get moved in, in Gallo and Winston, Wilson Chandler. Wilson, yeah. Their their rookie um, Emmanuel Mudiay from two years ago really has underperformed. Um, like I said, shooting guards. They've got Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Gary Harris, Will Barton. You only need two of those dudes. So what are they going to do? Are they going to make the right trades? Um, and Will Barton's it, on a fantastic contract. Fuck they have it. Mason Plumlee's impending free agency. So I know I know Denver's stoked they have Jokic, but I'd be very leery if I was a Nugget fan right now because there are a lot of important decisions that they have to absolutely hit out of the park each and every one but to that, take that next step. But that's the same case with New Orleans, the same case with Portland. We are given limited opportunities to, to to make this right. We got one chance to do everything perfect. Teams like New York or bigger cities have more chances, but small market teams have to make this right the first time or we're fucked. There's, so, I mean, you can say Denver needs to hit it out of the park, but so do we. So does every team that's trying to make win a championship in five years once, you know. Steph's old. I say that for Denver, though, because it feels like they're in a similar position as us last year, where they're probably going to be faced with um, growing expectations and there's going to be more pressure on the fans to win, just as there was here in Portland. And I was talking about this with Olga while I was rewatching the game. 
And I said, you know, this is the team that a lot of people predicted would be last year, but they overachieved. And for whatever reason, they haven't progressed as we had thought in the perfect storm with the free agency, the cap rose. We had a ton of free agents we had to keep. We couldn't lure a big fish, but we had cap space we had to use. Um, so Portland kind of got lost in that that Phoenix Suns shuffle of 2014 when they they completely outperformed expectations, and then the Suns are imploding, and now they're at the bottom of the West, always you know a perennial lottery team trying to find that that one star. Hi, the reason I have hope for Portland is we have a great drafting general manager. So if you give him some assets, nine times out of ten, I'm pretty good with who he's gonna gonna pick. Yeah. Um. One of my friends uh, works for the Nuggets and told me that uh, they're willing to give him somewhere between fifteen to eighteen million. Mason. Oh, yep. I, I mean, I think you can get Mason for that. Yeah, but speaking of Mason Plumley, Portland got Nurkic and around the twentieth, twenty-first pick in the draft. Toronto just made a big move, so we're seeing. You know, maybe Mason was the domino for for the trades, but we I mean, we still have nine days left in the deadline, and there was a major deal that happened today with Orlando moving Serge Ibaka to Toronto for Terrence Ross and the lower of the Clippers or the Raptors pick, which probably is going to be like twenty four. Uh, how in the hell did Portland get a better value for Mason Plumley than Orlando did for Serge Ibaka? Is their GM that incompetent? Because that's that's I don't care what anybody says that is awful value for Serge Ibaka. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't even know how they were built in the first place, though. They brought in Vogel and then didn't give him Vogel guys and traded away the one one of the two Vogel guys that is on the team. I I don't know. I don't even know who the GM is, but he's not doing a good job with the pieces that he has to build a contending team. I mean, if I'm Neil, I'm creeping in the bushes being like, hey, can I get one of your young players and turn him into Mo Harkless 2.0? Um, because they've got Aaron Gordon, they've got Hazonia, they've got Alfred Payton. Um, they've got a lot of guys who I would love to give a second chance at life, NBA life, and, and see. Give us Evan what, Fournier, we'll give you two picks. I wouldn't do two picks for Evan Fournier, but Evan Fournier is a nice player. He'd Either be way. nice with us. Either way, Orlando, I think, is that new New Jersey, Brooklyn, where mm-hmm. you go where if you want to win trades because um, that that kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You look at these last few trades Orlando's made. They gave up Tobias Harris to get Ilyasova. They packaged and they got Brandon Jennings, who they let walk in free agency. They packaged Ilyasova with the 11th pick, which was uh, Sabonis from Gonzaga and Oladipo for, Vic, or for Serge Ibaka. Then they trade Serge Ibaka for Terrence Ross and a first-round pick. They gave up Mo Harkless for a pick they're never going to get. They would have a pretty fucking nice squad if they just would have kept status quo. Yeah, but it, I don't know. I, I don't get. I don't get what they're doing. Who do you think's the next domino? So we we've had Mason Plumley moved. We've had Serge Ibaka. Who who's next, Sage? I want to say that's New Orleans getting Brooke Lopez. Why would New Orleans be interested? New Brooklyn's asking for two first round picks. Not anymore. There's a proposed trade that I hope with all my being goes through Brooke Lopez for Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, Tim Frazier, and a first. 
what first? Protected 18. You really want Brooke Lopez? I think he's so much better than Jalil Okafor in so many different ways, yeah. I just feel like that trade just puts you in. You're just stuck in mediocrity for the next 10 years with that trade. I don't. I think there's something to be said about rooting for a winning team consistently. I don't think it's always championship or bust. I think I would be a very happy fan if we were in the playoffs every year. But I think when you have a, a player, a unicorn like Anthony Davis, it you have to have bigger aspirations than just making the playoffs every year. I mean, you know, how, 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 I mean, we can even say this for Portland. How are we going to ever get a player in free agency that's better than Brooke Lopez now? Through the draft. Yeah. That shit's I'm, I'm about the draft. I love – one of my favorite eras was the Rise With Us era. Like, we totally rebuilt. We brought in Brandon and LaMarcus. Hit the lotto with Greg. Yes, that didn't work out, but we had like a bunch of young guys together. We had Outlaw. We had, you know, Andre Miller and Steve Blake and just that whole Prisbilla, that whole cast of characters. And they kind of grew as one. I would love to do that same thing. And we almost had that with with this bunch last year. I felt like, you know, Dame really put everybody on his back and, and CJ and we had a bunch of young players. And I was really looking forward to this year. I thought we were going to do big things. It had that same type of feel as that Rise With Us group, um, and it just didn't happen. Um, I would love Damon CJ to have another cast of characters to, to carry on. You know, you can keep a couple from this current bunch, but I'm I'm willing to start um, to start over. Hit that reset button because well, th- I think there's a difference between Portland and New Orleans. One team has a confident GM, one doesn't. Yeah. So trading for Book Lopez in that sense, where I don't think we'll if we keep the pick, which is I don't know if that's actually gonna happen. Brooke Lopez is gonna be what we end up with. So it's either New Orleans trade or I think a Denver they gotta trade someone. So I think it's either New Orleans or Denver that's the next uh domino. Yeah, I could see Brooke Lopez getting moved. Um They need assets too. I mean I think Paul Millsap actually stays. Oh, I think so too. I think they flipped the script on the whole trading Paul Millsap. They can easily go be the fifth seed in the East or the fourth seed. I take that. What about Toronto? Yes, the trade is great now, but you're looking at having to pay Lowry and Ibaka in the offseason. Huge deals. So And then they're losing Damari Carroll by default. I mean, they have to trade him. They just have to. I, Damari Carroll is such a negative on that team. He needs to go somewhere else. So I think they're forced to sign uh, Lowry. I just they they have to be a competing team. I know there's arguments to be made that they can blow it up, but if they want to keep status quo, they're keeping the team around and they're spending the money. I mean that, yeah. that it is what it is. They have to. I mean, they have a chance of being the Eastern Conference Finals. You're going to take that as long as you possibly can. They'll probably end up being the Eastern Conference version of the Memphis Grizzlies. They'll hover around anywhere between the three to six seed every year, maybe make a surprise Eastern Conference Finals visit. And um, as a fan, you'd be psyched. Yeah, I mean, so that's fine. And then in five (laughs) years, you better hit the reset button because it's going to be... I mean, tomorrow will be old. Lowry will be retired. Baca's old. I mean, but this five-year run is their run, so yeah, make, make it, it make it have some fun. 
Um, this is how I felt with the Saints in 2010. We're mortgaging our future to keep Drew Brees out, like healthy and competing. This is the the Toronto Raptors are in the same spot. We have to keep these two assets as as high as possible, and we'll we'll be, do well in the playoffs. So I, I mean, I I'm really excited to see what the next thing is. I just don't want to uh, wake up in the morning and see Jaleel on my te- my second team. Speaking you see how of, I changed the my, yeah my to second. Uh, I'm speaking learning. Speaking of of Okafor, Brett Brown, I saw it somewhere on Twitter. Um, basically confirmed that yes, they're it was either Brett Brown or the GM confirmed yes they're holding him out for trade talks. I think but it was that Sean he Marks. wanted to get a deal done by last Monday, so yesterday, so that you know they can get on with their lives. Jalil can get on with playing. They can get this over with. Um. What do you think is holding that up? Um, I know they want to play him. It's a lose-lose for Okafor because he doesn't want to go and get hurt. They obviously, it's a lose-lose for Philly. They don't want to see him get hurt because they can't move him. Um, are they, they asking too much for him? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, do they I, still value him as that third overall pick instead of what he really is? Yes. I think that, I mean, if Portland wanted to, they could totally get uh, Jaleel Okafor. I think with what they were willing to take from New Orleans. Now they don't even value him as high as New Orleans Noel. I mean, they're willing to take on an atrociously bad contract and a protected pick for the guy who was third in a draft. Why? Two why years would ago. they? Why would they do that, Sage? Why are they so ready? Why are they so quick to get rid of this guy? Especially when when you're when your own unicorn, Joel Embiid is going through, I mean, they reported like he's got some meniscus um, damage and he's obviously had the foot issue. So he's not, injuries are not nothing new to him. So wouldn't it make sense to at least for a year have Okafor as backup insurance at the very least? I think they just have one too many competent bigs and they need to, they're like Denver in a way where they needed to get rid of one for the other one to flourish. Okay, I understand that, but why would you be willing to take back such a poor package? Maybe Chicago's offering something amazing. I, I mean, we're not we're not in the Philadelphia office, but no, totally. Uh, and I don't think we ever I don't kind wanna. of proclaim to be. But it just seems like it would make more sense if you're so ready to trade a guy. I think it's worth the risk of, of injury to actually showcase him. So if Embiid's not playing, put in Okafor. If he has a few twenty ten nights, you know, twenty two eight whatever. Um, I know he killed us last year. Um, looked magnificent as a rookie. That's gonna that's gonna get your value up. Not protecting him on the bench because you're afraid of him getting hurt. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just am not sold on him. I th- I think if I'm seeing that, I'm hoping that some GMs are. Maybe, I, I think maybe he'll. I don't know. I, I I know Chicago's interested. Then I think they might pull the trigger on the hometown kid. I think at the very worst, he is what Al Jefferson was throughout his career. And you're going to get a nice back-to-the-basket player who can get you buckets. He's going to have his deficiencies on defense. But when push comes to shove, if you need a bucket down low, you go to him. Um, I think that's really fucking serviceable to have, especially for what they're asking for in return. And again, I think that's at the worst. I think he's more nimble. I think he just needs to get out of Philadelphia. Um, It's going to be a grass-is-greener situation. So... Before Nurkic, I was all aboard getting Okafor. Um, 
the way Nurkic really performed as a backup to um, Jokic in Denver, I think I want to see what what Nurkic can do as a starter. Maybe that'll light a fire under his ass and we have a real gem there. If we go back to him maybe backing up Jalil or Jalil's backing up him, it might end up being a, a no-win scenario where both players are kind of vying against each other. Not saying they would do that, but that could possibly be it. And uh, I mean, there's no way that one of them can be the power forward. They're both centers. No, you do not need to play them together. That's that's not a good. That's that's a that's a, that's a recipe for destruction and not the good time. Like that's that's gonna murder a team. All right, we are gonna preview the the next game before the All Star break. But first, a quick message from Hi, our sponsors. For most entrepreneurs or small business owners, it's the very thing that always seems to be in short supply. Tons to do and never enough time to get it all done. The good news is our friends over at FreshBooks feel your pain and have created something to help you reclaim some of that precious time. FreshBooks is a super simple invoicing solution that lets you create slick, professional-looking invoices in seconds. Oh, and invoices is only the beginning. FreshBooks will help you manage your expenses, staying on top of who owes you what, and tracking your time the easiest part of your day. If your business keeps you on the move, not to worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. You can use your camera on your phone to capture receipts while you watch FreshBooks magically create expense reports for you. If you do have questions, contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get the help from real live humans. No phone tree, no, I'll just get back to you. Just helpful service at the drop of a hat. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go to www.gofreshbooks.com and enter holy backboard in the how did you hear about us section. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. It is Valentine's Day, 11.09 p.m., and we are recording uh, the All-Star Break edition of, of our podcast. We've been coming in hot and heavy with the content lately, especially with our emergency podcast over the, the Plumlee-Nurkic trade, and there is just one game on the docket before the Blazers you know, get some much-needed rest uh, over the, the extended All-Star Break. So this is their last game until... Um, a four-game road trip kicks off, or excuse me, this is essentially the first of a four-game road trip. Um, they have three East Coast games right after the break. Wednesday, they are in Utah against the rival Jazz. That is going to be a 6 p.m. start. You can catch that on KGW. This looks like it's going to be a, a tough time for Portland, especially after the Jazz. They're they're angry bears. Um the Clippers really punched them in the mouth, held them to 72 points, beat them by 16 on their home floor. And Utah, they did that without CP3. Utah is a team that really prides themselves on protecting the home court. They're just 19 and 11 on the year. Um, they're 15 and 11 on the road. So their, their game travels much better than it did in the Jerry Sloan era, but they haven't really protected the home court like you would expect, especially like a team who seems to play very well with a lead because they're like an old option team in football. You get a lead, they're going to run, run, run. You get a lead on with the Jazz, their defense is just going to suffocate you. Um, they're looking to make a push. That was a huge loss for them because they were neck and neck with the Clippers for that fourth season, that all-important home court advantage. Um, so they still have a lot to play for. And if you're Portland, 
you're probably just looking to see the effort. Are they going to mail it in before the all-star break? Or are they going to come out and really take it to the jazz? Um, It'll be interesting to see. I want to see Gobert Nurkic. That's if if they're for no other reason, tune in to see how Nurkic looks as a blazer. And it's going to be his first time. I, I doubt he starts, but how does he do against like favors, Lyles, um, Withy, Gobert? How does he, Utah's got some solid bigs. So how does Nurkic stack up? I mean, th- th- this game is right before the all-star break, which means anything could happen. I remember a tanking Hornets team going into the, no, playing the, the Blazers the day before the all-star break. And then that tanking Hornets team beat the brakes off the Blazers because this is the day before summer vacation or the, the before year break. I can see the, the Jazz not coming in, uh, as focused as need be. And then the, the, the Blazers just taking them behind the woodshed and dominating. I could told that is a total option. Oh, <laughs> but what do you think is going to happen? I, I, I'm I, honestly, this is my most optimistic. I think Nurkic is going to not start, but play significant minutes, dominate, probably get like 20 and 10 because they're going to force it to them to see what they got. And I think we curb stomp the Jazz because this is the game before the All-Star break and this stuff type of thing happens quite frequently. I think this is the most optimistic I've heard you in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be. Honestly, like in tournaments, I am playing uh, I'm playing Nurkic. I, I mean, that is damn sure. I think they're feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. It'll be interesting to see how Myers actually plays because he is offensively a nice matchup for Portland if he's hitting his three-point shot to pull Gobert out of the paint. Um, if he's not, I think you have to put Nurkic in there because Nurkic is a, a better defender and he provides more on the offensive end, so you can try to go at Gobert down low, um, maybe get him into some foul trouble, throw some pump fakes his way. But if either Myers can spread him out and bring him out to the, the perimeter so Damon CJ can do their thing um, in the paint, or you've got Nurkic trying to draw hit, draw some fouls on Gobert, I think Gobert is really the key to the Jazz um, he should he, be their all-star. He should be their all-star. He's the one who protects the paint. He gets all the rebounds. And you really, as an offense, have to adjust to his length and his wingspan and his overall presence on the floor. Um, other players for the Jazz, I'm not too worried about Gordon Hayward. I think Mo Harkless is going to do a fantastic job on him. If not, they can switch Chief on to Mo. What really worries me is Joe Johnson, who had such a nice night. Fucking on Evan night. predicted that shit too. On opening night, um, just that wily vet, and then George Hill always seems to get buckets against us. I still remember him leading a comeback um, as a member of the Pacers a couple years ago. And Portland is not getting beat up by their backcourts. Is is nothing new to this Blazer team. Um, it happens more often than it, than it should. So. Can the Blazer backcourt significantly outperform their counterparts in Utah? And how are we going to do in the paint? I think those are two things. Can Portland not win the paint battle? Because I don't think they will. But can they minimize the the, the overall advantage for Utah? And can Damon CJ shine? If those two can take it over, I think they have the ability, like you said, you factor in the all-star break. 
you factor in like the this um maybe the jazz are overlooking us but push comes to shove i think the jazz losing by 16 to the clippers the the game before it's probably the worst scenario for the blazers because they are going to come in focused they do know what's at stake they want to go into the all-star break feeling good about themselves and I think they they beat Portland um, probably by 10 or 12 points. I think it's going to be very low scoring. Utah just, they know how to put the clamps down on defense. And Portland really hasn't been moving that ball the way they did last year, or even when they had it clicking this year. It's been a lot of one-on-one basketball from, from really everyone's been guilty of this. And then you take away Mason Plumlee's passing ability. Um, I think that could play right into Utah's hands. So I've got the Jazz winning this game. I think... Um, Joe Johnson is my X factor, but overall the all-star break, typically if you're playing well, it's the last thing you want to see. But if you're playing terrible, like the Blazers are, and they're in a rut, it's probably the best thing. They need to get away from basketball for a while and just decompress and try to get re-energized for, you know, what would be the last, you know, 20 plus games of the season. I'm, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to think, do I want to do this fucking Flago take? What's CJ McCollum's career high? 39? 43. Okay. I think he goes for 40 against Utah. It's Joe Ingles defending him. It's not Rodney Hood's knees. Yeah, Rodney Hood's out. I, I think he takes advantage of Joe Johnson and Joe Ingles. I think he goes for 40. Hot take. I, I uh, could see CJ going for 40 just like Dame went for 40 against the Cavaliers and Cleveland. I don't know if we're going to have the defense um, or just the personnel to match up with Utah. Utah gave us fits on opening night, and they were without um, Favors and Hayward. So, are we? Did we just happen to get like Freaky Friday, where I'm the optimistic one and you're the the pessimistic realist? I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I think I've been pretty chipper on this podcast. I <laughs> you guess. have, you have, but I, I think we're going to maybe kick their ass. I, I said curb stop it. I, I'm, I mean it. You know, either way, if Portland wins, they inch probably um, they get back to eight games under 500. But if they lose, this would be the first time in, to be honest, maybe since the lockout year of 2011, 2012 or 2012, 2013, when we lost 13 straight that we've been 10 games under 500. So it'll be interesting to see if we do lose how the team's going to react coming out of the all star break, Um, because there's going to come a point in time if if losses continue to pile up and, you know, we do have that home heavy schedule stretch, but to get there, we play 11 of our next 15 on the road. If, and it's really far, yeah, if we fall too far behind, it'll be interesting to see when we really start seeing minutes get reduced or, um, you start seeing more Jake Lehman, more Shabazz Napier, Pat Conton type of players get, getting minutes. So, um, keep an eye out for that. Like when is this turning point with the season? Um, Probably not for a couple of more weeks, but I think Portland needs to. If, if you're looking for the playoffs, the push, you have to stay above water during these these road games. You have to steal one here or there. You have to hope Denver struggles and then you have to make your push at home. But for Portland, home hasn't really been where the heart is. I mean, they're just 14 and 13 at home. That's that's unacceptable. You know, whether you want playoffs or not, that's just not acceptable because we have some of the best fans in the NBA and to have a basically a 500 record at home is, I mean, I, I hope that inspires them because 
we've always, regardless of how well we were as a team, we always played well at home. So it's really tough to see that that, that number hurts me more than an overall record, to be honest with you. All right, before we wrap this up, we have a few fan questions. Uh, first, my coworker Ian, he wants to know, will we ever be able to move Myers or are we stuck for three more years? He hurts his value more every time he's on the court. I'll let you have first dibs at this one stage. I think we could potentially trade Myers. Yeah, I mean, I brought up the fact that Dell Demps always thought Myers Leonard was a good basketball player. I, I could see us doing something dumb. Uh, I, I think that he's not he's his value is low, but if we really wanted to trade him, we could. He's not an untradable asset. Like if we had Omer Ostrich with the contract he has, we would have to throw in a first to get rid of him. But I think he's tradable. I think Myers Leonard is tradable if we That's really want. Scares- to. That's what scares me. If we really want to, I don't want to do that because I do not want to give up first round picks just to move shitty contracts that could have been avoided last summer by not signing them in the first place. Let's not compound a terrible move with a worse move. So yes, Myers can be dealt, but only if we probably package um, picks involved. Hi, Ian. (laughs) I think to Ian's point, he is hurting his value on the court. And that's why a guy like Miles Plumlee was able to get moved because he hadn't played in a while. Um, he had a pretty terrible contract, but he hadn't played in a while, so there's not that recency. The recency um, bias. The recency bias of, of seeing some guy going 0 of 6 from 3. Um, you're like, oh, I remember Miles Plumley in Phoenix. Like, yeah, he had some game. Um, so I think the showcase is probably working opposite effects for Myers. Um, remember when Nene uh, was showcased for the Nuggets? They won games, but they ended up making a decent trade for him. I think this is the exact opposite. Yeah, and to be honest, it it is three more years, but his contract is not terrible, and I wouldn't rush to trade it just if you can. From all accounts, he's a good dude in the locker room. I just think he needs, for the betterment of his career and his game, there's a lot of negativity surrounding him. I mean, there have been times on this podcast where you and I have just railed against him. Like I, uh, okay, fine, yeah. fine. I have railed against him. I've, I've been very a, friendly to Myers Leonard. I've called him a zombie. I've said all this negative shit. I think a clean slate with a new team would do him great. I think he would actually be a role player if he could move to a team that doesn't have this negative connotation about him every time he steps on the floor. Oh, I completely agree. I think he needs a change of scenery, but I wouldn't give right up now, he's a sunk, He's a sunk cost for us. I mean... We gave him the money. We're never yep. getting that shit back. Now, if a team wants him, sure. You know, let's make a deal. But I'm not going to give you first round picks to take his contract. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. We we that's just, have to. We could if we wanted is. to. Um, question from Long Story Longer OG listener. Um, they want to know: Is this going to be another situation where Neil says we're very active, and then we fuck around until all the good dudes are gone? Uh, that's in reference to Neil Olshay mentioning. I believe during the Nurkic press conference that Portland is still active at the deadline. Um, in terms of all of the good players being gone, I don't know if Portland's essentially targeting good players. They're targeting guys like Nurkic, and they're targeting probably first-round picks. We're trying um, to lose. That's the number one thing with right where we are right now. We're trying, we're trying to, to find sell those assets. Targets. We're trying to sell our assets to get first-round picks for the future. So if we end up getting a guy that I mean, if we, we get the next version of Mo Harkless, that's all the better. But, I mean, what the strategy is, is we're trying to lose. I mean, we can talk all excitedly about Nurkic, but he's going to help us lose this year. 
Really? Just a, a center that does has no idea what he's doing for the first part of the year? Or the I mean... Basketball is like riding a bike, though. You give somebody who's been on the block their entire life, they're going to start to figure it out. Okay, I go to my left, I go to, I pump fake. Like Once he gets into a rhythm, I think he's going to be a very nice asset for this team, and he'll give us, again, that dimension we haven't had. I don't know how many more games we're going to win because we have so many other problems as a team, but I don't think it essentially makes us a worse team. I, I just... I was never on that Plumley bandwagon where I thought he made us so much better. No, he just um, he just took advantage of the situation he was in, and that situation was having the ball in his hands like fifteen percent of the possessions. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm really looking forward to Nurkic next year, but I totally could see us losing more games because he's not used to the the defensive scheme. We might like ask him to do something that he just plain and simple cannot do. I can see us losing because of that, but. But back to the original question, I don't see there's any way that we're going to go after a guy like Paul Millsap or or Ibaka who has moved. It just doesn't make sense this time where the franchise sits currently to give up assets for a one-year rental to really make the playoffs just to get swept by the Warriors. Um, Yeah, it's hustling backwards completely. Yeah, we got to take our step backward now so we can take our step forward later. We don't need to step forward now, so we're in the same situation again in two years. Like, let's just get through it now. We'll reap the rewards um, later on. And those were the fan questions we had. We really thank you guys for listening. If you like what you're hearing, definitely uh, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe so you always get the the earliest notification when a new episode is dropped. Um, We're also on uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. And you can find us on social. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. Um, at Holy Backboard. Sage, thanks again for another amazing podcast. We're going to continue to have the content um, for you guys, win, lose, or draw. So ride this out with us. We're with you. You're with us. We'll get through this together, Rip City. Mm. Sage, any final thoughts, my friend? I mean, I love the content that we've been bringing. I hope there's more emergency podcasts and some stuff we can do for fun. Um, Thank you for listening.